Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. It's a special one today. We have the, uh, the esteemed 2004 Skills Competition Champion, among, among other things. Also, L.A. Hoops legend, third overall pick in the NBA draft at one point, two-time All-Star, Baron Davis joining us. Baron, thanks for coming to the studio, man. Man, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. We watched uh, the documentary, which is called uh, The Drew, No Excuse, Just Produce. It uh, premieres April 29th at 8 p.m., that is Friday. That is tomorrow if you're listening on Thursday. On Showtime. On Showtime. So uh, we were able to watch. We wanted to talk to you about this documentary as fans of that sort of circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing you know, we're really most curious about is you've been, you've been working on this film since 2012, right? right. Um, and you've been with this production company, uh, Verso Entertainment, I believe it's called. Uh no, it's Five Balloons Entertainment. Okay. It's not oh, we'll edit that yeah. out. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, you've been working on doing this. This has been a passion project for a while. I'm just kind of yeah. curious why, what about the Drew League is the story you wanted to tell and how this process has been the last few years telling the story of the Drew League? Uh, it, you know, it's, it, it's been a roller coaster. I would say that uh, anytime you're making a documentary, um, you think you know the story when you start and then. You know, the story doesn't really kick in to about halfway through, mm-hmm. meaning year two. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a lot of shooting and thinking that you have one thing. But f- for me, it was more so I wanted to tell something positive that came out the neighborhood. Um, and as a director, I wanted to basically show that I could direct a a film a documentary and tell the story and not only tell the story but you know show basketball in a different context and 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 with a different purpose and a different meaning Mm -hmm. and you know ultimately I, i think that was the goal that was the goal we set out to accomplish was you know let's let's tell let's shoot let's make a basketball film but Let's not just make it a documentary. Let's make let's make it a a, a story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, about family and about community surrounding basketball. So is it is it fair to say that this started off as a as a film about basketball, and and then you kind of realized in starting it off, that I can't tell a story about basketball without essentially telling the story of the area, telling kind of your roots as well. Absolutely, uh, you know. At first, it was like, man, we got to interview this dude. We got to get footage of him, and you know, it was looking to be. Really, it was going to be a five to ten minute short. Oh, interesting! And, and we were going to just highlight a bunch of guys who, and tell the history through the players and and the evolution of the guys. And then as we got more in depth, it was like, well, you know, there's only been two commissioners, yep. and Dino has been there over the past thirty five years, and he started as a kid. Okay, well, well, that's the story. <laughs> and then as you get into that, is you know. Uh, it's Dino, his family, and the families around it that support the Drew. And it was like, well, that's community. That's a story. Yep. And then, you know, as we start to get deeper and deeper into it, it was like, well, what do all these guys have in common? It's basketball. But what is the metaphor for basketball? And it's basketball is a, is a father, is a brother, is a mentor, is a saving grace. And at any moment in your life, you may, you know, 
we as basketball people, mm-hmm. we need that. Whether you're in the NBA, mm-hmm. whether you're a weekend warrior, mm-hmm. whether you love playing the video game or you just love consuming the sport from, you know, watching it on television and and uh, social media or whatnot. Like, if you're if you really have a love and a passion for something, it's going to keep reoccurring and reappearing in your life. And what do you do when you have those opportunities, those moments, you know, when you need to make a transition in sure. your life? Mm-hmm. It's basketball. And and it was happening for me, and it was happening at the same time for so many different people on so many different levels. Yeah, I, I would love to hear more about, you know, you talk, the film is talked about as it's a story of African-American role models. That's what you wanted to tell Dino Smiley, the person you were talking about, the commissioner of the league for many years. Who else were some of your role models growing up in this area? Uh, I would say uh, Casper Ware. Um, my first coach, Bobby Watson, who, <laughs> who's still my coach in the Drew League. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, my grandfather, ultimately. But for me, you know, growing up, uh, not having a father around, you know, as a, as a black male, you have to pick and choose you know, who's going to be your mentor or who you're going to look up to. And, you know, um, I want to be like him, you know, because you're you're constantly trying to figure out and find out who you are, Mm -hmm. you know, because you don't have anything to really, you don't have a gauge. Right. And, you know, so I think that was, that was like a a big thing and, and just growing up in South Central and, and, looking for mentors and looking for guys like like the Dinos and the Casper Wares of the world, you know, it just it just really made those guys that much more important. Okay. If for people who uh, sorry to cut you off, for people who haven't seen the film yet, who are going to see the film uh, what is it about the Drew League, about Casper Ware, about Dino Smiley that clicked for you as a role model as opposed to other people that might have been role models? What was it about that environment that worked so well for you and others? It was the closest thing to me. You know, it was it was it was guys who were from my neighborhood who knew my story, who knew the story of the kids in that neighborhood and the struggles we had to go through. And somehow some way made it as adults and family men and fathers and father figures which was really appealing to me because it was just like well they're not gangbangers or like drug dealers or mm-hmm. you know like getting in trouble with you know these are like upstanding citizens and 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 great people and and not only that they love the game of basketball so i think that that's what was the overall telling for me for sure and i, I think I mean, look, there's a lot to take from from this film. I mean, like you said, this is a multifaceted thing. I think you already kind of connected on the different ways in which the Drew has touched a lot of different people. I wrote some notes down that it could be both a career rehab. Mm -hmm. It could be a spotlight for the first time. It can be the connection that you want to feel with the people around you who may have left. Mm -hmm. And it can also be a proving ground, which I think in a lot of ways, I mean, there was a great clip. I'm not going to ruin anything. But younger guys came (laughs) to try to play Mm -hmm. against the Drew League veterans. Mm -hmm. They were a great high school team at the time. They got served a little right. bit. There's some good players on that team. Right. So, but it, that proving ground mentality of like coming to that that mecca of sports for your area, the regionalism of basketball, mm-hmm. the Drew is LA's thing. Yeah. I want to know what makes an LA basketball player different than a New York guard. What makes an LA guard like yourself? Again, uh, a guy like Kenny Bruner, who we mentioned a couple times in the documentary as well. What makes an LA guard different than a New York City guard, a Chicago guard? Because the regionalism of basketball is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Everyone wants to claim their area is the best at this. Right. We're in New York City right now recording this. 
a lot of people here would tell you New York's the best city in, in the world for hoops. Right. Tell me why it's L.A. Tell me why it's a drill. Well, you know, uh, in L.A., you got to be able to shoot mm-hmm. as a guard. <laughs> you got to be able to shoot because, you know, all, all our basketball is played indoors. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's no out, there's no outdoor, you know, there's not a, a lot of outdoor play or a lot mm-hmm. of outdoor recreation. So the game is played the way the game was designed <laughs> or, you know, the way the game is played on, at a high to, level. You don't have to play the wind? No, you don't have to measure <laughs> the wind or anything like mm-hmm. that. Uh, so, and then on top of that, like, to me, everybody who plays basketball in L.A. is like a basketball aficionado. You know, they like analyze the game. They, you know, they scout the game. Like people take basketball so serious in LA from a technical st- standpoint mm-hmm. that you know, when you're an LA guard, one, you have to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, two, you have to be able to shoot. Three, you have to be able to play defense. You know, because that's just you know that goes back to being from you know the hood or whatnot. <laughs> and like you know, you take offense. Like you know, yeah. you take offense and you For take sure. that challenge, and, and and your pride, your pride in your manhood is on the line because you know when you're a guard in L.A., when you come out of like if you go to Inglewood High School or Crenshaw High School or Westchester, it's like a whole lineage of players that you know that are relying on you to carry the torch. For sure. So you know it's a it, it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of pressure, but you got to have. You know that that kind of gangster mentality sure. as a point guard. You know, especially playing against LA because that's the most potent position when it when it comes to our you know our city and basketball. For that sure. and, and 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 just guards. Period. So I mean, I brought up Kenny Bruner's name. Did you have any other rivals, guys, who just it seemed like consistently were coming at you? Singularly uh, at you, head to head in the drill. Yeah, you know, uh, Kenny Bruner for one, uh, <laughs> James Gumby Gray. Um, mm-hmm. There was a uh, Tommy Davis who was who was older who played, uh, you know Kevin Bradley, uh, you know <laughs> guys that you be like, oh, I, we don't know who those guys are, but you know when you sure. you start mentioning these names around LA, yep. you know guys who went and played uh, some pro overseas sure. and you know uh, had good college careers, um, you know it's just the competition is crazy because. LA is a big place and a lot of guys they go away to school all over the all over the country and then when they come back you know they got so much to prove because mm-hmm. they've been away and and for me being the hometown kid who stayed local who went to the big university out I mean it was like walking around with a bullseye on my back <laughs> right. every day yeah no, no, that makes a lot of sense man and like I think I guess the other takeaway I had, you kind of mentioned father figures a lot, mm-hmm. but there's so much of this of this film is the passing of the guard, right? Yeah. It's going from one generation to the next, but everything's staying seamless, right? Yeah. That, that this is just the way it is here. And so I think you kind of mentioned it, that uh, Dino Smiley's been the commissioner since 1984. Right. Before him was uh, Alvin mm-hmm. uh, Willis, right? So only two people, two commissioners. There's been right. more commissioners of, of the NBA. Well, close. Tied, right? Uh, yeah. Since no, there are, three, yeah. Three since 84? I guess two commissioners. Two, okay, yeah, two you're right. But then there's also, it's not just the commissioner. You have uh, different people throughout that kind of taking the, Casper Ware was like the main man in the 80s. Mm-hmm. His son now has that same yeah. mentality now in the 2000s. Right. Know? So I kind of wanted to see what you thought about the idea of just like the passing of the guard being a major motif, the, the dichotomy of like, the way it was versus the way it is. And I think um, to that, and I want you to kind of talk on this, when the league started, it came on the heels of the Watts riots. And then fast forward to 1992, 93 time period, there's the riots in South Central from Ronnie King. 
what, how did that really play? And then that mixed with the race relations currently going yeah. on in our country with as you did your film here from 2012 yeah. to now. Yeah, uh, you know, when we were when we were going through the film, uh, you know, the Jews started out on the hills of the Watts riots. Uh, I think when the L.A. riots uh, happened, it, it it gave the Drew uh, it the the riots gave the Drew a, a, a peace mech. It was like a, it became a peace mechanism sure. mm-hmm. because it was like we're gonna we're gonna take care of that. Like you guys have that, we're gonna allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of put it on the pedestal as far as like you know this is something that is never gonna kind of go away because this is something that the hood needs Mm -hmm. and then as we're shooting the documentary and we're going through all our footage and 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 we're going through our section on the riots and how the riots pertain to the drew then you have the ferguson thing and 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 you have the uprisings here yeah you know and it was just like like you're saying like just the passing of the guard just history repeating itself and knowing how to make that transition and so this film is really sentimental in the fact that you know, it deals with a lot of, you know, uh, social commentary. But at the same time, you know, you're also dealing with how people react to that and how they resolve situations and continue to move forward mm-hmm. in spite of, you know, yeah, totally, totally. all the negative things. One thing we were talking about off camera, I'm from D.C. Uh, I've been to the Goodman League down there, uh, the outdoor league with Miles Rawls and all of that, and one of the things that was most striking about me that I saw when watching the film uh, on the Drew League, a very similar characteristic, is that was an area that had very high crime rates, Barry Farms mm-hmm. down in D.C. And but whenever they played those night games outside, they called it inside the gates. Everything that happened in the outside world was forgotten. Right. And one of the things that the film mentioned that I thought was really powerful is this idea that. You know, Crips and Bloods were playing on the same team in the Drew League, and everything that happened in the outside world was forgotten about once you stepped into that gym. Why? How did Dino and everybody else foster that kind of environment where all the problems of the outside world were forgotten as you stepped inside that experience? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think a big credit just goes to the game. The game itself. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then the crazy thing is. Some of these guys grew up together, you know, so and because one moves to this neighborhood or this guy goes to this school in that neighborhood, then you have the whole blood crip thing. But I think that at the Drew, basketball is the main focus and winning and, you know, (laughs) representing where you, you know, like your team. You know, it's it becomes a free for all. So, you know, one coach may go and go get, you know. This five different dudes from five different neighborhoods, and it, they may not get along. Right. But once they get on that court, you know, it's a whole different thing. And then they're like, "Hey, we're teammates." And so, sure. you know, it's just basketball and the love for basketball. I think in basketball, just kind of being like that peace mechanism, it just allows for that to happen. Sure. And what? and when you see, you know, when you're like, if you are a gang member and you come and 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 you know, you come into the gym, you see families. Sure. You see kids. Mm-hmm. You see people eating together, living together, talking smack. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's all in the confines of this gym and and, and it's in, in this great basketball environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to be the fool. Sure. Right. Of you course. know what I mean? Yeah. Of course. What well, is part of one of your goals with this film to kind of take 
show the world that what this sport can do in a contained environment and try to spread that message be outside of it. I mean, is that safe to say For that's sure. one of the big goals of sure. the film to kind of show people that basketball can do this in this little area. Let's see if we can make basketball, make basketball or some other mechanism global. do it in the larger world. Yeah, I just think that there's so many stories and so many themes and through lines through basketball. And, and for me, um, you know, I want to continue to tell those stories, whether it's something small and community-based or something grand and global. I think that basketball allows us to unlock these stories and these, and these, and these heroes and put them put these local guys Mm -hmm. that are having all this impact and this direct impact with these kids in the inner city and and doing great work. So it's an opportunity to put them on the same pedestal. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, that's, that's what I, that's what I want to accomplish, you know, through basketball and through, you know, the art of, you know, shooting documentaries and films and different things like that is to show that, you know, this game that's happening on a global level that everybody knows about, there's so many great and interesting stories to be unlocked that are not just the traditional somebody winning a championship or somebody falling on hard times. That's right. That's right. And I think, like, and you kind of just touched on that, but this is such a global sport. There are stories of, like, dude comes from Serbia, grew up playing in hollowed out swimming pool and bombs going off around him. That happens. That's right. you know one in a million NBA players has that background. Right. A much larger experience being shared by more people similar to like your upbringing here that can be, that can be told as a universal story. Absolutely. You know, and I think that that's really important. I also, I like this idea, I mentioned it earlier, right, that regionalism of basketball. Mm-hmm. One of the cool things about the NBA is that the Hall of Fame is just the Basketball Hall of Fame. Right. It's not the NBA Hall of Fame. And it's interesting how a lot of people would say they should be an NBA Hall of right. Fame. Right, and, and I disagree for this reason, Mike, because guys like Dino should have, there should be a wing for the people who have saved basketball or started basketball or founding basketball in certain areas, mm-hmm. like in New York, like say at Dykeman or Rucker, the courts up here. There are founding fathers of those courts, sure. too. These are the stories that need to be told, for sure. which is one of the reasons I'm so happy you did this piece on the Drew. And we're able to kind of shed light on Dino and his family, what they brought to the area. Why shouldn't, and let me get your opinion on this, how you feel about there being a wing for the different cities, people who have kind of heightened basketball in those situations in the Hall of Fame is basketball. Yeah, I, I mean, for one, I, I, you know, I think the Hall of Fame is great. I think the Hall of Fame should be expanded into, you know, so many different categories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's a small it's a small thing. It's it's hard to get into, mm-hmm. but um, I definitely think that there should be some other avenues and some other things to allow, you know, people with great great impact on the game. Yeah, and, it touched a lot of people's yeah, lives, and and a lot of times it's like, you know. You want to get measured by your peers sure. a lot of times and not, you know, no offense, not not by sports writers or sports commentators who who, who are very opinionated and, and mm-hmm. you know, what they say and what they do. You know what I mean? And you're voting. Mike, on, Mike knows what you mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, a, just a fan of the. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Well, a lot like, of but it's like, guards. you know, there's there's. For every four or five guys that make it, there's like 150 or like yeah. 20 guys that could possibly sure. be in there that probably don't get considered. So it's just, you know, the Hall of Fame, it, it's 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 for the, the upper echelon and the elite. <laughs> but, you know, there could be sure. something cool where there is a, you know, there is a Hall of Fame for people who are actually – you know, having an impact on on these young people's lives. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit more about some of the stories you wanted to tell some of the people that you know people who don't see the film haven't don't know about. 
uh, Kenny Bruner, for example. Mm-hmm. For those who haven't watched the film, what kind of player was he like? What kind of rival was he like? I mean, who is he yeah. most compared to uh, contemporary players? Uh, I would say Kenny Bruner probably compares mostly to Kyle Lowry. Interesting. You know, yeah, just I- mean, just like, you know, a little bowling ball, a bully, um, you know, somebody who's just, you know. I, I think that yeah. Kyle I think you are a better version of Kyle Lowry, in my opinion. I, I look at Kyle Lowry, I'm like, damn, he's a great player. He's got the Philadelphia hoops mentality. Yeah. That's where I'm from originally. I, I love I love watching him play. I think that bully ball, you did that at like a better level almost than uh-huh. what he does. And which kind of, I'll let Mike lead into this. No, one, but I'm, I'm curious to yeah. hear more why the Kyle yeah. Lowry comparison yeah. is interesting. Yeah, uh, with Kenny Brunner, yeah, for sure. Because, <laughs> you know, they just play it out, you know, play defense, hustle, and their energy and their, their leadership. Ultimately, if you don't match that, they're gonna they're gonna beat you. Put it on you, yeah. And that 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 was Kenny's edge was his competitive nature, his ability to make guys around him better, his ability to get to the front of the rim and and, and shoot layups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, in in high school, you know, him and I were one and two, but for the longest, he was number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> and so you know to see him. Uh, even go to the Big East and as a freshman lead the Big East in assists. It was just, you know, at Georgetown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was something that was amazing. And I just think that, you know, his life just fell on hard times because of some of the decisions that he made and the things that were going on in his life. But as far as like his game, you know, like he's the guy you want on your team all the time. <laughs> Why do you think it was such a struggle for him after Georgetown? And he eventually has a rebounded. He was on the N1 mixtape tour as a bad Santa. Mm-hmm. So he, he things did work out for him in the right. end. But why do you think – I mean, I asked only because you talked about some of these players that slipped through the cracks mm-hmm. in these leagues. What What is it about his story and others that maybe – they didn't make it or in the, on the same level that someone like you or someone else did. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Kenny Bruner's story is, is another documentary. I was going <laughs> to say, take a note here. Uh, yeah. Hopefully one I'll get to tell him. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I just think that sometimes when you make decisions and you make the wrong decision, sometimes for people who have cushion, you take two steps back. Yeah. For people who don't have cushions, you fall off the ladder. Yep. You fall off the hill. Gotcha. Yeah. And unless somebody throws you a life, you know, a lifesaver or a rope or you know something before you hit rock bottom, and I think that's what happened with Kenny. Mm-hmm. Is he made a couple bad decisions, and those bad decisions really just threw him threw him off the cliff because he didn't have you know when you grow up and you don't have father figures, man, and you don't have really. A, a real good family structure, yeah. then there's nobody to pick you up, especially because they, you know, you're the one. Sure. Like you right. are the yeah. only one right. in your family that is dedicated, committed to this, and nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody knows what you actually do. Mm-hmm. They just know that you love something, but they can't really. The only support that they can give you is by showing up and watching you do it. That's but right. they can't really help you right. move and navigate through a world that they did, don't know. Did you feel a lot of pressure growing up as a I mean for I sure. say like for sure. a lot of pressure from other people putting it on you like you're gonna be the one playing the NBA? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I kinda flew under the radar for for a, a lot of my high school career, but you know, the pressure of just making it and, 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 and surviving and and then on top of that it was 
you don't have you don't really have too many people you can relate to mm-hmm. outside of <laughs> not other a whole lot of other NBA players, players. Yeah, yeah, right. for sure. Our other our 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 NBA guys. Um, sorry about that. No, that's okay. Uh, it's just hard. You know, it's hard to relate to people when you don't have a a structure and an infrastructure that's set up to make you successful. For you sure. know what I mean? Or if you do fall, you know, to have that cushion. There's no cushion. Do you think that the Drew and the Drew League has provided that type of structure to like the next wave of LA basketball absolutely, players? Absolutely. I think this younger generation that's coming up in LA, they have an opportunity to go play in the Drew and play against pros, play against the top uh, college guys and 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 learn, you know, learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Learn how learn when I I started in the Drew when I was 13. <laughs> And that helped me for sure mature as a basketball player. So I think these guys, you know, they have that. And the Drew has always been a safe haven. And I think that as it's beginning to grow and grow, you know, more guys know that, you know, at the end of the day, if I just go to the Drew, I'm safe. Yeah. And then I'll work my way back from yep. there. One of the, yeah. the, the things that the documentary talked about that was really cool is that the lockout sort of provided a second life to the Drew League and some of these other leagues and now all these pros are coming down and playing and that really raised the profile of the league to the point that maybe it wasn't there before. How important do you think that is for the city and how does the league now build on some of that the Drew League and other these other leagues that attention to kind of as they move forward into the next few years? Um, I think they just need to continue to do what they're doing. Uh, with the lockout, I think the lockout was like the tipping point for the Drew because Nobody had a pla- no. Nobody had a place to go. No, right. no, there were no leagues. You know, the league was shut down, and dudes wanted to play. And the crazy thing, sorry, no, that's, that's and the good. crazy thing is, you know, dudes wanted to play, and it was NBA players who wanted to play, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of NBA players that were from LA. Yeah, like. All right, we're just playing in the Drew. And all of a sudden, they start calling their teammates. They start bringing their friends. And next thing you know, like you you would have games where, you know, there's six or seven NBA guys playing on, you know what I mean? Sometimes 10 NBA yep. guys on, you know, playing on, 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 on the court. And, you know, for these kids and these people in the community, it's like, what? I can, I can, I can be a part of that. Yeah, that's I the connection. That's, yeah. yeah, that's. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yep. And, and the other thing I love is that those, that's not, probably not necessarily people that can buy a ticket to a game. And so they this is their this, this right. is a, this is their opportunity to see these players uh, play in front of them and how that you know will affect them. I mean, that, I love the that element of it. It's just a totally different environment. Yeah, it means so much, man. It's just like you don't know the impact it, it has on a kid or just a family when. You know they can show up for free and and and, yep. and watch Kevin Durant and the kid's been a Kevin Durant fan. You know <laughs> his pretty much his whole life. That's right. To be able to touch Kevin Durant, shake his hand, high five, that's gonna sit with that kid as he goes through everything. Right. And anytime that kid has some adversity, he's gonna remember. Man, I shook Kevin Durant's hand. I was that close. So it just keeps that dream and that NBA dream. It makes alive. it real. It makes it yeah. obtainable. That's something yeah. I can yeah. be someday. Right, a couple more minutes. We have a minute or two left. I want to get a couple thoughts here. Um, we have a question from a, a SB Nation uh, writer here as well. Uh, better old man baller, you or Katino Mobley? Uh... That was well, her, word, her old. words. Her words. Old man is her words, not yeah, mine. I don't mean <laughs> We're like for, the same age, man. Yeah, for one, I don't feel old. Uh, <laughs> right now, Kat, 
cat got the old man game, but I can sure. bring out some old man game. <laughs> but I, you know, I feel young right now. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on a new wave, so Very I would nice. say Catino Mobley beat me with the old man game. <laughs> how how uh, how's the knee feeling? And you really have to good. come back with really the Delaware and the D League. Uh, the knee is feeling good. The comeback is coming along. Um, getting in better shape. The D League allowed me to see. Uh, you know how far I could take it, and how much further I can go. Um, and it gave me a lot of confidence to know that you know I can keep up with a lot of these young guys. And <laughs> you know, it's not really putting a strain and stress on my body. And my body, since I've been uh, resting the last four years, has had had a lot of rest. And and so, nice. you know, there's there's not a lot of hic- You know, there's pretty much no hiccups. It's just a matter of getting out there and performing and performing sure. at a high level and waiting for that opportunity. The L- last question I have is, I got to get you to spill the secret on this. What's in Drew Aid? Man, I wish I could tell you, man. You just got to come in. <laughs> so, just, so Drew Aid is this drink that uh, Dino's man, wife makes that everybody kind of Top come, secret. So you have no idea what's in it. Uh, I mean, I know it's, I know it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> I know, Kool-Aid is, I know Kool-Aid is in it and some lemon and some sugar, but <laughs> it's something else. You know, it, it's sometimes it's, it's one or two other ingredients. Right. That we'll I'm go home and you, test it out. Dude, it'll be nine o'clock in the morning and it'll be a line outside the uh, outside the little cafe spot. And you'll hear people be like, yeah, you know, let me get a. <laughs> Egg McMuffin and a Drew Aid. Like, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no electrolytes in that. That's just whatever it may be. Man, no telling what guy. I mean, but some dudes drink it and go out and, and ball up. So Maybe there are then. Who knows? Who needs Gatorade? Maybe some complex Drew-Aid. electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on that note, uh, man, really appreciate you coming on the Thank pod, you, man. This was a lot of fun, dude. This was and, awesome, man. Thank Mike you and guys I, for having me. both big fans of, the, uh, of a documentary. You guys can uh, find it on Twitter. It's at the Drew Doc. That's at Baron Davis right here. I think the best thing you could do would be to tune in tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on Showtime. That's the 29th of April. Watch it for yourselves. We hyped it up enough, guys, but it's worth the watch. It's great. If you liked Hoop Dreams back in 94, Mm -hmm. this is today's version of it. Check it out. Until next time, I guess Limited Upside Podcast. Thank you, guys. As always, find us on Twitter at limited underscore upside. Find Mike at Mike. What's your Twitter handle? Mike Prada SPN, which I don't understand how you don't remember it. And uh, I am at EpiBen. Again, look for uh, the Drew League doc, guys. It was really, really good. Mike and I aren't just saying that because Baron was sitting right here next to us. It was tremendous. It is really one of those films that you're going to want to check out, tell your friends about. And hopefully, Baron keeps making basketball documentaries because he has a, a true feel for it. So, as always, listen to us next time. Find us on iTunes. Find us on SoundCloud. Find us on Stitcher. Subscribe to us. Rate and review. Please, we love those ratings and we love the reviewing, assuming they're good reviews. But until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Limited Upside Podcast.